course, we share of ourselves with others in such a variety of ways in conversation, through friendship, through time, through gifts, through sharing ideas or saying, hey, read this book or this article or listen to this podcast. It meant a lot to me. And in that sort of sharing of ideas and content, we can also sharing of jokes, you know, share of ourselves with other people. But I do think that art is a little bit different and a little bit special because it also engages with this unconscious aspect of our identity. And oftentimes when we're creating art, we're sharing with the world things of ourselves that we didn't even know ourselves were within us. And so I think that's part of what makes art so special, so profoundly personal, so profoundly vulnerable. And so it's a it's a really, really interesting thing. And I'm very proud to be an artist. I'm very happy to be a creative person. I feel very special to have a creative gift and honored to share that with other people. I was recently commissioned to do a painting for someone who's close to me, and they asked me to do it in an abstract style, which as mentioned, I'm not an abstract painter and uh, my style is completely different. And this was a request because this person had in mind a particular goal for her room for the for the space that the, that the painting was going into so i did it as a favor <laughs> but it was not the most enjoyable experience because of course you're using skills that you've developed to express yourself to then basically sub being subservient to somebody else's artistic vision or artistic need and i think that's hard for creatives to do. The point of me developing my skill in art is to be is to express myself in a way that I can't do in any other mode or medium or context. And so it feels a bit like a betrayal to my inner artist child to sort of shove my own vision to the side and say, okay, well, let's make you a piece of decor. And I think that's also one of the things that I struggled with this, not the fact that it was abstract art. I think there's, as with any genre of art or any style of art, there's amazing, amazing works and mediocre works and bad works as there are in surrealism and realism and, and French impressionism. And it, it doesn't matter in still life, there's the gamut of quality as there would be with anything else. And in fact, the experience was really interesting because it is quite challenging to do good abstract art. You're removing so many of the elements that nature just provides for you when you use maybe a landscape as your inspiration or something from nature as your inspiration as a starting point for what you want to represent on the canvas. And you have to come up with that yourself. So it's purely raw imagination on the canvas. And the underlying principles of art become even more important. The underlying principles of your the, the framing of the piece and having a focal point and the values, the darkness and the lightness and the color theory has to be really, really strong for the abstract art work to be um, successful. There's many things there's like nothing, nothing for it to hide behind. It's just raw abstract, uh, raw art principles kind of come to the fore when you're working on an abstract art piece. And I did enjoy that aspect of exploring how that worked. However, I do have a problem <laughs> with 
sort of design first art, interior decor first art. It's something that I've noticed from watching a lot of YouTube channels that do interior design, which a lovely creative job and something I obviously enjoy watching and I'm interested in. And I like to live in a beautiful home and I'm sure many people love to live in a beautiful home, but I have noticed that the perspective on art from a perspective of, is this going to be a decor piece is really different from people who appreciate art for art's sake or people who are themselves artists. And I find that designers can pick bad art that looks really good in the interior design process. Does that make sense? It probably doesn't. They, I have noticed that because a particular piece of art fulfills the brief or fulfills their vision for the interior design space, the artwork itself can be of a lower quality because it's satisfying the requirements on an interior design level. As opposed to when I approach a canvas, I'm trying to have a successful painting within the four corners of that canvas, right? And the goal is that no matter what room it goes into, it's a successful work of art, whether you put it on a blank white wall in a museum or whether you put it on some in someone's dining room or whatever the case may be, that that artwork in and of itself is a complete and full vision, and it is a successful work unto itself. I think when people think of art as being a piece of an interior design schema, then the artwork itself doesn't really have to stand on its own two legs. It can be something in the background that is perhaps vaguely interesting or fills a white wall or matches some of the other pieces or has similar textures to what else is in the room. It serves its decor purpose, but it doesn't really serve an artistic purpose. And I think that was probably one of the biggest points of tension that I found within myself as I was working on this particular abstract piece is that the person for whom I was doing this commission, it was a piece of decor and its primary purpose was to be in a, a single particular room, her dining room, and it was supposed to match her items and her design schema. It was not really meant to be a fully successful painting standing on its own two legs as a complete work within itself. It was a piece of a bigger picture and its success would be on how well it worked within her space. The success would not be within its its own four edges of the canvas. And I think that's really unfortunate because I think you end up living with bad art potentially because it simply matches the curtains or it matches your couch or it satisfies your decor. And you end up living with art that you don't look at and say, oh, this speaks to me every single time that I look at it and you ponder it and it and it touches your heart on some level or your soul because you have, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a digital art print that you downloaded that's a rainbow in three colors of taupe. And and it, and it matches what you put in the room, but it doesn't speak to you. And I think as an artist, that's one of the things that really hurts. I think that devaluation of the art as, um, as it, <laughs> just the devaluation of the art, period. That's it. It's, it's unfortunate. And it made, it made me really sad. The whole process was really difficult and, and made me really sad. <laughs> As a result, I am now facing some very serious art block. I also had the death of my art mentor 
very recently, and I think that's also contributing. So that means that I've been reading a lot more books, so I have a lot to talk about with you today. I know that the way to get past my art block is to show up at the canvas, to show up at the sketchbook, and to continue to make art. That's always been how I've moved through it, is to just continue to make art, except the bad art that will come has been my experience at least. And this is not in a in a mean way. It's never really helpful to, it's, it's not really self-discipline per se. And it's not really helpful to be a, a taskmaster to the creative aspects of yourself or to be harsh. I, I always feel like I have to be very gentle with that aspect of myself to sort of like coax it out and coax it forward. Uh, just like you would with a puppy or a kitten or a child or a butterfly or a hummingbird. You know, it is it is a part, it's the innermost part of you. It is the gentlest part of you. It is the most vulnerable part of you. So you can't simply command it and call it forth and say, perform now and, and do that thing that you're good at. It's not something that you can yell at or apply self-discipline to, but it is something that you can invite and say, hey, come play with me. Come be with me today. I'm going to get all the fun colors out. Let's see what we can do together. Um, it's an invitation. It's not a command. So to transition then to the books that I am reading, I've actually finished three books since my last podcast, so I'm going to talk about all three today, and that will be today's podcast. First, I finished The Letters of Jane Austen, which is the final piece of published, written anything by Jane Austen that I hadn't read previously. I've read all of her novels. I've read her incomplete novel, Sanditon. I've read all of her juvenilia. And now I've read the letters of Jane Austen. In case you were wondering, yes, I am a huge Jane Austen fan. And I think her sense of humor and her sense of joy comes through even more strongly in her letters. You get a sense, a very good sense of her personality through her narrator's voice. Her style is just so clear and so obvious. When you hear a Jane Austen sentence, you know it's Jane Austen. And she would just be this sort of person that you want to be friends with. You know, she has such a great sense of humor, but also a real kindness to her. She's not mean in the way that she makes fun of people. She invites us to laugh at our own foibles in the midst of it. You know, she's not high-handed or superior. And, and I really love that about Jane Austen. One of the things that I always think about when I read Jane Austen is why <laughs> why so serious? We don't have novel writers who are funny anymore. <laughs> so if you have novels that are hum have a humorous tone to them, then please send me recommendations because I need more comedy in my life. I need more of that joy. One of the people that I think of a lot is Christopher Guest, who does mockumentaries. This is Spinal Tap is probably his most famous one, but he has quite a few that he's done. And I think even though their sense of humors are completely different, they both have that quality of inviting us to laugh at something in a way that isn't mean, that isn't petulant, that isn't superior. And I love that about both of them. So if you know of any writers that have that quality, let me know. I need more. I also finished Voltaire's Candide. Now, this was a book that I bought, I think, at, towards the end of high school, thinking that it was a book that everyone is supposed to read. It's a classic. I can put it on my shelves. It will make me smarter. 
which I often do. Those are the books that I'm gravitated that I gravitate toward. But then I was completely intimidated by it because I don't read a lot of philosophy. I mostly read literature. But it was really fun and I really enjoyed it. It's a bit of a parable with a satirical humor in it as well. So again, I love to laugh. So it made me very happy. It actually made me laugh out loud on multiple times. And I think my big takeaway from this book, I'm sure people have many wonderful takeaways from this book that are more um, insightful than this one. But my big takeaway from this book was that we have a need for a philosophy that allows us to account for the tragedy of life. Any philosophy that doesn't account for that is going to be insufficient because the tragedy of life often feels so senseless. We're knocked about by life constantly and everyone is suffering so much um, in their lives. I mean, you talk to anybody and you, you get a little bit under the surface and you realize that everybody has gone through something really, really hard and oftentimes multiple very difficult things. And so I think that Voltaire is really poking at philosophies that are insufficient in this way and sort of pointing out how important it is for us to have something that enables us to deal with the tragedy of life. Springboarding off of that, I also finished on audiobook, The Body Keeps the Score, which is all about trauma. What a wonderful and painful book to read. Very intense in parts and does, in fact, describe some of the trauma experiences of the patients of this particular psychologist who is writing about trauma. So do take that into consideration if you are going to approach this book. There are some moments that are very intense. I myself have experienced trauma in some very significant ways. And part of me reading it is this overwhelming desire that I have and and is certainly encouraged by this book as well, that I just want to be healthy. I want to be a healthy human being with joy in life and strength in life, strength to encounter those tragedies that are going to come, those traumas that are going to come, the difficulties that are going to come that I can be a place of refuge for myself as well as for others, a place of stability for myself as well as for others. And this book really strengthened that longing that I have within myself. So anyway, those are the books that I've read and those are the ideas that I've been thinking about lately. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, this has been an episode of Alexandra's Pensees. Talk to you next week. Thank you.